Welcome to the Open Adoption Project. This is episode 62. We're the Nelsons. I'm Lynette. And I'm Sean. In this episode, we interview author and award-winning journalist Erica Hayasaki. Erica is a journalism professor at the University of California, Irvine. Five years ago, Erica learned this fascinating story about two twin sisters who were born in Vietnam who were actually separated when they were five months old. One was sent to an orphanage while the other one was considered too sickly to take to an orphanage. And so she was raised by some family members while the one who was in an orphanage was eventually adopted by a family in the United States. And so she learned about these sisters who were eventually reunited and was super interested. And so she spent five years working on compiling their stories she interviewed all of the adoption community surrounding their story and their families and researched adoption extensively and she wrote a book and it's a fascinating really great book it's called somewhere sisters and it goes into the history of adoption it talks about nature versus nurture and that debate it talks about poverty and privilege it's a fascinating book i highly recommend it we were really lucky to get an advanced copy of it to read and we were really happy to interview Erica and talk to her about the book more. And yeah, we're just super excited to share all of this with you today. Yeah, Somewhere Sisters is available on Amazon.com and in many other places. We'll put a link in the show notes for today's episode. But for now, we'll just jump right into our conversation with Erica Hayasaki. We are here on the podcast with Erica. Erica, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So to start off, can you tell us about your new book, Somewhere Sisters? Yeah, the Somewhere Sisters is a story that is a true story, a reported narrative. I'm a journalist, and five years ago, I um, I got pregnant with twins. I became a mother to twins. And um, I started looking into twin science because I write about science and I, would, I was always very interested in nature versus nurture. raised in a predominantly white neighborhood and a white family and um, Catholic school and the other um, twin she you know went was raised Buddhist in a completely different environment so the story is a narrative of um, their lives and eventually reunions but it also took me deeply into the world of adoption research which I was not so familiar with um, because I am not an adoptee and um, I as a, but I am a journalist, so I'm often venturing into worlds that are, you know, new to me and learning as much as I can. So I, I ended up learning a lot from adoption scholars and um, interviewing a lot of adoptees and really started to piece together some of the history specifically around um, adoptions from Vietnam, but also, you know, domestically in, and overseas. And then I also um, delved into the research around twin studies. So it's not entirely a book of research like that, but there it's a narrative, but it weaves in some of this context just a, enough, hopefully, to, to, to help people understand the context. But there's also a very extensive bibliography with many resources if people want to learn more. 
Yes, I love that about your book. There is so much like you're learning about science and history and also these personal experiences. And it's just, yeah, it's everything. I love, yeah. I love that about it. Yeah. So you said that you really didn't have very much exposure to the adoption world before writing this. What exactly was your exposure before? I mean, I think I grew up in a society and a time when I absorbed the narratives around me and from popular TV and movies. And because I was not adopted and didn't know many people who were adopted, I didn't know, I, I didn't think about the real, I think a lot of people, and I hope people who read the book, maybe come at it with an open mind too, and start to understand, well, I've learned these narratives that have come down, maybe like fairy tale narratives that have been sort of ingrained in my psyche since I was a child, happily ever after, everything's always perfect. And, you know, these sort of narrative Disney movie type of things, right? Where you always have the child who is in search of the parents or ends up, you know, um, trying to find their parents or trying to find a home. And so my knowledge about adoption um, was limited, to be honest. And I had to really um, unlearn, which I think, you know, we have to do in our lives. Sometimes we have to unlearn narratives that we've learned. And I've done that in different areas of my life and things that I did not learn in school, for example, my own history, for example, I did have experiences as an Asian American growing up in the Midwest and my mother is white and I was often assumed, people assumed I was adopted and I was often bullied um, because I didn't fit in. So I had that connection of identity confusion, but that's not the same as being adopted at all. And so I had to really like put myself aside and put my maybe preconceived notions aside. And, and that's what you do as a journalist. You should, if you're good and listen to the experts whether that's adoptees who are the voices out there sharing their stories on podcasts like yours or um, on TikTok or wherever they are connecting uh, Twitter and then dive into the research because there's decades of it, critical adoption studies, for example, and, um, and talk to psychologists who are also adoptees. And not only that, I, I had readers who, I had, I had multiple readers on my book, on the book who uh, were also adoptees, um, uh, intercountry adoptees, transracial adoptees, um, and from, you know, journalists to memoirists, uh, adoptees from Vietnam. So I had, I had a lot of input and learning happening um, as a journalist. So I, I felt like I wanted to share what I learned too, and those voices and center those adoptee voices in the narrative. I love that. So you said it was five years ago yeah. that you started this book. And so it really was this very intensive, long labor of researching, connecting with different people who know the topics more and really just deep diving for that long. Yeah. And I mean, I, that is yeah. what you're supposed to do in journalism. I'll say five years. It took yeah. five years also because we had a pandemic and I was also raising children who are five now, my twins. And, and it was many, many different interviews, intense interviews, reading. And so it was a journey. It needed to take that long to have the kind of depth. Yeah. I think um, if I had just written a book the first year out, I don't think it would be the same book. Also, we were going through as a country kind of a racial reckoning, right? And all of us have been re-examining our own biases, our experiences, um, like structures in this country. And I've done that in my own family and in my life. And that the discussions around adoption should be also and are um, having the same kind of examination and discussion and and real conversations that are sometimes uncomfortable, which I've had in my own family, you know? Yeah. So interesting. So yeah, what a journey. Yeah. (laughs) Putting all of that time. I mean, I can tell it's, yeah. So I feel like we often get people asking us on our show, 
what do we think about nature versus nurture? And I would love to hear your thoughts on that after so much time listening to these sisters. Do you feel like you have a better understanding of how identity forms and how nature versus nurture factor in? Yeah, I mean, the sisters themselves are clearly these amazing young women who are totally individuals, even though they are identical in genes, they were raised in drastically different environments. And while they have similarities, they are their own people with their own personalities and, and just very individual. Um, that seems inevitable because, you know, you're just raised so differently, right? But throughout history, obviously, there's been this constant tug of war between nature versus nurture. Is it genes? Is it your environment? And always the swinging, you know, from one end to the other. And, and the reality, and I understand this from uh, the science, I understand this from being a mother of twins, and I understand this from learning from these twins in the book. The reality is much more complicated. It is an interplay between both forces. Environment does impact your genes. There's some, you know, the whole field of epigenetics, which has exploded in recent years, talks about how, um, you know, your genes can be switched, essentially switched on and off by factors in your environment, right? Um, and I've written about that. There's also random chance, mutations, chance in our lives. You know, there's so many decisions made on behalf of you, decisions you make. And that really boils down in many ways to discussions we have about fate versus destiny. Like, do we have control or is it all written? And it's not so simple, you know? And I think that all of the discussions in the book, like a lot of times the twins will talk about fate and destiny, nature and nurture. And Ha, who's the twin who was raised in Vietnam, you know, she was, she articulated it so beautifully because she would say, you know, yes, I, she believed you're born, you're, you know, there's like a reincarnation process and, you know, you're born into a new life based on your actions in your previous life, right? Um, and that might be your fate but you also have some control over your destiny. And so she already got that. She doesn't have to study all the science books to understand that there's both forces at play and with your genes and your environment, that's the same that the science now understands, right? So I don't know if that answers exactly, but I just think that I've learned that to embrace these multiple forces that could be at play and understand. I love that. They're all part of identity. Absolutely. And I feel like it's really easy for people to just write off whichever one they want to and kind of focus on one or the other. But I love how you really tie it into destiny and fate too. And yeah, I think that's beautiful. Of course, it's going to be both and it's so complicated. And you could say the same for the twins' lives and how they turned out, right? So one is raised in Vietnam and does not have a lot of access to resources, education, money. Is, is basically raised poor, um, has this beautiful life full of love and, you know, yeah. plays with like the leaves and the sand and loves her life. You have the other twin also raised with so much love, incredible love within her family, um, has access to much more as far as educational access and just different things that we have in the US. Um, both of them experience different hardships, but to say one is better than the other, I think it's a little more complicated than that. And I don't think you can just make a judgment call so easily without all of the details. And that's, I think, and all of the little factors at play. Um, so I think that that was also important to, to sort of convey in the story. So interesting, I agree. So what was your biggest takeaway personally after you wrote this book? I think my biggest takeaway was, I think that the direction that was surprising to me when I, when I got into it is how complicated and sometimes hard and even traumatic um, adoption can be and how that's not often talked about in mainstream. I know that it is absolutely talked about in the adoptee community, right? Um, but we have these, you know, again, like narratives that are built into our society and that don't often leave room for the complications and the complexity, all of the 
constellation of family members involved, which is why I try to give voice to more of those voices. I couldn't get everybody in the book, but I try to focus on the women, at least the mothers and the grandmothers and the daughters. But there's, you know, people that weren't in there at the same time. Um, but I think that that was the learning curve for me that I tried to convey. And I knew it would be, you know, a complicated structure to do that. But it, it wasn't a linear story. It wasn't like the fairy tale. It was just a much more complex reality that um, is, you know, both forces of pain and beauty, which I think exist in any life. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so I want to talk about adoptee citizenship. Mm -hmm. So we know this is a huge issue right now where there are so many adoptees who were born overseas and they were adopted legally, but they don't have legal citizenship because paperwork was done wrong by agencies or adoptive parents or somewhere in the line, things just weren't filed correctly. Yeah. So can you discuss the legal loophole that led to all of these adoptees falling through the crack? Yeah, so, I mean, basically it was, it was a big loophole that people did not pay attention to and parents did not pay attention to and did not know what, you know, know that the paperwork wasn't hundred uh, percent legit and that their children were going to grow up at a certain point, discover that they weren't citizens. Right. And that, so the sisters in the book, um, there's three sisters who are adoptees to the two that are raised in America, um, find that out one day. And both of them were not they, considered legal citizens. Yeah. They thought, and I'm talking about the two that were raised in America, not the one raised in the other. Yeah they thought their whole lives that they were American citizens. And then they turn 18 and turns out they're not. And so they were able to navigate that system through the help of their mom. However, it opens up a discussion as to why this is. So the book does delve into that. And it also delves into stories that did not turn out with a happy ending again. So there are stories I'm sure you're aware of people who were adopted being deported. There's a suicide that occurred of a young man who was deported and he did not have family that he knew or the language and, you know. Um, yeah, where these people are taken from their home as children and then expected to just, just go back because we were back up, into right? society, yeah. separated yeah. from their families here in the US. Mm -hmm. And for years, um, Adoptees have been trying to change this. Um, Adoptees for Justice is an organization mm -hmm. that I was able to, you know, interview and, and learn more about. And they've been working on this along with other groups for years to try to change this legal uh, loophole and ensure citizenship. Um, and recently, I believe it was in February, um, they did get the Adoptee Citizenship Act passed as part of this larger package under the America Competes um, Act. Um, but it's still, you know, they're still trying to figure out if it will go through for sure. So it's not a hundred percent, but that was a, a victory for them. But, you know, think, you know, the fingers crossed type of thing. It's something that yeah. they've been working on for years and there could be anything that goes and it gets taken out of that particular act, for example. And then they're back to, starting over you know it completely blows my mind it's so crazy yeah. that, that happens and yeah so is there anything that we could really do at this point or are we just waiting to see what happens with that legislation I mean I think at this point it's it's gone pretty far and but I certainly would would get involved with and support um adoptees for justice for example because they are working on the front lines of this and have been for a very long time and they're very sharp and can talk about this legislation and can talk about it, um, you know, even to, you know, groups about how, because it is complicated, like it's tacked onto this larger package of America, you know, it's like, there's a lot of different layers to it, but they, um, you know, they're excellent on navigating these things. And so I think you just look them up if you're interested and, and try to find ways to support and follow 
what they're doing and if there are ways to, you know, push it forward more that these things don't happen again, you know, they would be the ones yeah. to connect to. That's great advice. So you mentioned that growing up, you sometimes felt like you experienced a little bit of what some adoptees might experience with people kind of judging you based on how you looked versus how your mother looked and how growing up as an Asian American was just different, especially in the Midwest and about how that kind of drew you toward Isabella and Olivia, these sisters that were adopted in the United States. So how do you believe these experiences fit into that complex understanding of Asian American identity? And especially right now with all of the tumult and yeah. tension right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question because I think that I don't, I'm, I will never say that I understand the adoptee experience as deeply as I've studied this. And, and, but I, I have the experience of being an Asian American who oftentimes um, I think like adoptees that I've spoken with um, feels like on the outside of being an Asian American, but the truth is a lot of Asian Americans feel like that because it, we're really just lumped under this umbrella. And the only thing connecting us as, you know, people have said before um, is like sort of the names that were called on the playgrounds and the ways that we're um, maybe targeted when there's anti-Asian hate happening. Right. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, these experiences are sort of universal for us. And even in my generation and these sisters generation, it's amazing. To, and even now, you know, the twins were walk, they're living in America. Now the one from Vietnam is in the U S they're walking down the street in Chicago. Um, this is a scene toward the end of the book and a man starts to verbally harass them and call them racial slurs and China virus and chases them basically into the store. And the one raised in America, she was ready to fight this man on behalf of her sister because her sister had not experienced racism like that, you know? And so that's just in the last, you know, I don't know, since COVID right. Um, happened. Yeah. So these are reoccurring experiences that we share. And I think as far as Asian American identity, um, the, the thing about being mixed like myself or an adoptee, perhaps when you're raised with family members who maybe don't look like you or don't you know, have the same life experiences walking through the world, um, sometimes you can also feel though that you're not connected to the core of like the Asian American community, like you're not enough. And I know I've had those feelings through my life, like, I don't quite fit in enough, like, yeah, right. And so I think these, ex these conversations we have about what is Asian American need to expand to include people who are mixed and adoptees, right? And those experiences belong within our very intense discussions around being Asian American, because we have like these shared experiences and we have different experiences too, but it's all part of this umbrella term that we're kind of lumped under. Not that that term makes a lot of sense, but there's reasons why. And I think I even addressed some of that in the book, like why we're, we're under that umbrella term. Um, but I do think that the conversations again, need to get more complicated about that experience for people because we are also Asian American, right? Yeah. 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 That's so important. So in the book I read, I really was so fascinated with how you drew in the history of what it looked like with adoption in Japan before, or was it during World War II? And then also in Korea and China and how that's evolved over time. And obviously I won't be able to reiterate that as well as you stated it in the book. So just read that, anyone listening. But how would you say this history and our understanding as a country of adoption and this practice of saving children who are in need, how do you feel like that has continued to shape adoption today? Yeah, I mean, that was so interesting for me to learn more about going back all the way to Japan and mixed children, for example, yeah. in Japan adopted into, um, 
American families and, um, and how the idea of, you know, saviorism developed and started and also just um, became a part of the legacy of adoption. And, um, and so I think understanding that history, again, these sisters are adopted in a different time period, but um, the system of adoption has been built on this idea of saving children from circumstances like poverty, for example, or, or the aftermath of war. You know, a lot of, a lot of um, ideas about what constitutes a better life. Um, and sometimes that has led to these, you know, really, um, just kind of unbelievable situations. Like I, I mentioned in the book when, you know, after the, the war ended in Vietnam, you know, there is a story of a plane crash with a bunch of children who were being sent to America to live, to be raised by, uh, American families and it crashes, but then the U.S. goes back and starts sending more planes. And at one point, Hugh Hefner gets involved and sends an airplane to also bring more children to the U.S. with Playboy bunnies like helping. And it became this big spectacle, you know. Um, now, when you talk to the people who were adopted at that time, who've grown up, you know, the narrative that was and you know, popular at that time, saving the children on the airplanes with the Playboy bunnies, um, their lives have been, again, very complicated, painful, sometimes searching for family members, but the paperwork was never registered. Um, so no, no, no reunions like what happened in, our, in this book, um, identity, confusion, lots of things, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think that it's important to know that history, just like um, we talked about earlier, like set the context for how we got here and how some of these kind of mentalities continue on in our systems. And then how do you recognize that, that um, way of thinking? And if you're gonna to start to challenge it, you have to recognize it first. If you're gonna to start to do things better, you have to recognize what was done, not in the past. I love how you say that you need to recognize first. And that makes me think of a part of the book that really struck me where the American adoptee girls, their adoptive mother was in Vietnam in the process of adopting them. And at one point she has this moment where she's like, wait, what am I doing? Taking these girls away from their homeland and their culture. Like, I can't do this. And she talks to the orphanage director or the adoption yeah. agency director. Yeah. And says, I can't do this. And she, the director like talks her down and is like, oh no, you need to do this. It's like to save them. And, but, but yes, where she had this moment of crisis where she was like, wait. And yeah, what an important step in any situation where there are so many potential ethical. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So many things that we need to be thinking about and analyzing and really yeah. going through carefully. Yeah. 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 It was, it was, that really struck me. And I thought it was so interesting that the director just kind of dismissed it and was like, Oh, don't worry about this. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're helping. It's good. And don't question it. Right. Yeah. But, and I think sometimes, and I think the way she put it in the book is that she had to block things out to, to, to go through with it all, you know? Mm -hmm. And that meant just sort of not thinking about that ever again, or trying not to think about birth families, for example. Um, and that was her way of moving forward. Uh, but I think we are in a moment now where, we, again, we are, these uncomfortable conversations are forced into our homes already by, mm -hmm. The discussions that are swirling around us in the media and everywhere and, and and you know I've had them in my home I've had them with my mom you know but I think we're better for it you know it doesn't mean we're always on the yeah. same page on everything and we all operate with our own blind spots 
Um, but when you can sort of recognize that and hold these multiple truths in your mind, then, you know, that's, that's something I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that idea of you can just constantly work on growing and learning more. Yeah. I mean, you do the best with what you know now, but hopefully you're going to know more later. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think as parents, we, we, we do that too. You know, we have to do that too. We're changing a lot as we're parenting and, and figuring our way out, our way through. And I do say that in the beginning of the book, I said, you know, I mean, I think all mothers, including all the mothers in the book are trying to do their best with what they know and what they have. And that's, that's true for all of the mothers and the grandmothers. And that best is going to look differently depending on where you're standing and what you know and what you have and what um, kind of choices you can make. So it's going to look different. Does it make one better than the other? I mean, that's, again, that's not the way I think it should be viewed. It should be trying to understand um, these different points of view and, 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 our, and how we do have blind spots. We don't see the other side sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I really, just another quick plug for your book. I really do love this about your book, how it's very non-judgmental. There's all of these different situations and very human people who you might be able to look at from the outside of the pages of the book and say, oh, why did you do that? But it's not written in a judgmental way. It's very compassionate and just really balanced and listening. Yeah, I was trying to listen and just tell the stories as they were told to me, um, you know, and I think it's not easy when it's so personal for people. Yeah. I don't think it was easy for everybody in the book. It wasn't easy for me <laughs> either. So, uh, but I do appreciate that because, um, you know, I hope that you can have empathy for everybody in, in the book. Yeah. I thought it was beautifully done. Really. Thank you. So can you tell us about what it was like meeting the twins' birth mom and all of their biological family and then also their adoptive families and traveling to Vietnam and just like weaving all of these pieces together, all of these stories and voices together and telling their story through so many lenses like that? Yeah, I think the weaving is the hard part when it comes to writing. (laughs) And so... That was hard. I'll just say that's just a writing thing. But the doing the traveling and meeting everybody was eye-opening and emotional, very emotional. Um, and you know, everybody is human, and you see them, and you see their love and their tears, and um, you see that people who weren't, you know, like the birth mothers. Um, love their love the children that they could not raise personally you know Um, which again is hard right Uh, it's hard for the adoptive mother for example who you know by the way is totally open to these families and um, embracing and everything it wasn't always like the case so she didn't know she was going to encounter all these other people when the reunion of the twins happened so she was not ready for that but um but you know that takes a like a level of emotional maturity and strength to be able to embrace all the people right and that's complicated so um it was very emotional and I think again not a fairy tale uh just complicated and in some moments very beautiful to see them interacting in Vietnam and sometimes very painful too. You could see that for some members of the family. Yeah. 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 So um, the complexity is what I go back to a lot because I just think that this story is all of that. (laughs) There's just all of the complexity uh, in there story which is in the end a beautiful story but also um you know it's sometimes uncomfortable yeah yeah there's loss and love and yeah 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 so 
a really interesting part of the story is that you talk about this history of twin studies, twin science, how twins have sometimes been uh, subject to these crazy experiments and how they've been exoticized and just treated so differently. Do you want to talk about that? That was super interesting to me. Yeah. So unfortunately, going into the twin studies and even adoption studies history, you see that science, science, and not just science, but eugenicists, for example, have mm -hmm. taken this science and um, used it as sort of a tool to champion their cause, for example. And so some of the earlier twin studies, twin separated studies, for example, um, the people, you know, writing about these studies and doing these studies were supporters of eugenics. And so the idea is that, you know, breeding, breeding um, some sort of smarter, better human, right? So they would study the genes to understand how much genes matter. And so if you're studying twins, identical twins in particular, there's all these experiments to understand like, well, do genes matter for intelligence and for this and for that? And there were some very terrible twin experiments happening in Nazi Germany, for example. Um, horrible, horrific twin experiments. I don't even get into that really, but you can't, there's plenty of research on that. And um, But I mention it. Uh, you know, for the sake of trying to prove that genes, the genes are your destiny. The genes are what make you who you are in every way. And then you go to the other side of science and it swings at one point very severely into the direction of uh, behaviorism. There's these experiments of, you know, um, monkeys, for example, being separated from their mothers and, um, raised by cloth mothers for like fake cloth mothers and and torturous experience experiments with animals um, proving as they would say like that the lack of nurturing um, would really harm a child and and also you know impact behavior and personality and all of these things. So, so there's been these very extreme experiments, unfortunately, and these two extreme sides where it's like, give me a child and I will shape them into anything. That's the sort of saying that got um, popular. Um, that's, that's not the exact saying I said in the book, but, but that's the idea. And so again, it's not either or. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, and yet we've throughout history, um, had these uh, moments in history where we just have had science um, really pushing one or the other, push, pushing it to the point where it's detrimental and and the experiments are um, pretty terrible and they're in, in, in some cases also trying to prove, um, you know, horrible uh, assumptions about humanity and things like that or prejudices and, and, and that's the dark side of twin studies, unfortunately. And, um, you know, we're at a different place now, but I think that also is part of the history that uh, people have to be aware of people, twins being separated for the sake of science. I'll, I'll hold up this book again from the, the researcher um, deliberately divided. This is about, this is inside the controversial study of, twins and triplets adopted apart for the sake of science they weren't told you know that they were um apart like they, they were uh, that they had these siblings they weren't told these experiments were conducted very unethical right so terrible yes yeah yeah so i i mentioned that and again it's i'm i'm trying not to write the whole book on that because that exists but i think you should know it. And if you want to know more, there's many, many other books to read. Um, but certainly, um, if you're thinking about twin studies and how much you think genes versus environment matter, also give 
some thought to like how these um, scientific studies have been based in like a certain time um, in our history when um, bias seeped into the science and prejudice also seeped into the science. So. Really important to talk about, thank you. Yeah. All right, so lately, there's been a lot of talk about Roe v. Wade being turned over and what implications that has on the adoption community. So what would you like to share about that? So I saw after, um, after the decision to end Roe v. Wade, these kind of uh, memes, I guess you call it, going around on Twitter of families, uh, or there was a couple at first that said, I will adopt your baby. That got picked up and it turned into like this sort of joke um, with different families, I will adopt your baby, right? And that was, you know, triggering from what I came to under, like see from adoptee Twitter, basically, I hope probably people are tuned into adoptee Twitter, um, but also adoptees that just were posting, you know, in different places or talking about this, but that, you know, that was really offensive because I, because again, like adoption is this painful experience for many people. Like it's not the um, solution to the end of Roe v. Wade, which is how it has been framed in some places, right? And so I think it's really important, again, to listen to the adoptee voices who've lived the experience instead of, um, having society sort of quickly assume, well, we'll just have, have the babies be adopted. Like there's a supply issue, like causing, okay. like calling it a supply issue is incredibly dehumanizing to adoptees, yeah. right? And so. Commodifying these children. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, um, so I just hope that people will listen to the voices of adoptees more because they're out there speaking on podcasts like yours on Twitter, on TikTok, in research as psychologists, in novels, in memoirs. I mean, there's so much that um, there's no reason not to listen to them and to, to hear that. And to if you're coming with the assumption still that it's like this fairy tale solution to, you know, the end of abortion, for example, and that it's just going to give a better life to a child, then you're severely like misinformed about the realities um, and truths. And, and that, you know, um, will just be uh, continuing sort of this cycle of how adoptions in waves have happened after different policy decisions throughout history, like um, the end of the war in Vietnam or in Japan, and not with the thinking of like the child first, but sort of like the rescue mentality first. Yeah. And so many problems come with that saviorism mentality of adoption mm -hmm. where adoptees feel like they can't have any opinion other than just being grateful that they were adopted. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's something that you hear a lot. Um, and I think that that how do you like that? I mean, there is a chapter in the book about the fog. Um, and uh, I talked to experts about that process of coming out of the fog. Um, you know, the idea of starting to step out of that narrative and the, also the grateful narrative and seeing all of these forces and complexities and histories and, and, and also seeing like, the complications with your own identity formation, for example. Um, and so I think that that process, it's conveyed in the book, but, um, but you know, there needs to be more discussion around that um, reality instead of like the, the grateful fairy tale narrative um, that is still, I think, persistent. Absolutely. Yeah. So what else would you like to talk about? 
<laughs> I mean, this is the very, big question. Yes. <laughs> this is very good. I think that you covered a lot. Um, I think that there's, you know, I think that you covered a lot. I think that um, we kind of get the idea of a lot of the issues that are raised in the book. But at the end of the day, this book is a human story. There's, it's humans and their lives. And so um, you'll learn and you'll think about these issues, hopefully, but you'll also care about the people on this journey and see um, like their their humanity through the piece, through the book. Um, and, and maybe hope to find out what happens to them because they're real people and they've lived this. So, and then along the way, you might learn a little as well. So that's sort of what I hope. It really is a fantastic book. I can't recommend it high enough. Thank you. We, yeah, thank you so much, Erica. Really appreciate you talking to us. Thank you so much. It was really great talking to you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and big thank you to Erica. We really are so happy to be sharing this interview and I was so grateful to get to chat with her. Yeah, there were so many things that I found really interesting from your conversation and also from what I've read in the book is how our genes could be affected by our environment. And uh, I've always had some questions about nature versus nurture and I've seen things in our own family where one of our children do something or say something or have a mannerism that looks exactly like one of their birth parents or sounds just like one of their birth parents. Or even like grandparents. Yes. So yeah. fascinating how Other. genes are so deeply entrenched. Yes. But also I see things that are very much me or you and, um, and it, they become part of who they are because of the atmosphere that they're raised in. And it's interesting for me to think like down the road when our children have children, which traits they're going to inherit and if their genes even may change some of the, some of the, some of the characteristics that can be passed down genetically. I wonder if those might alter somewhat because of the environment that they've been in. Anyway, it's kind of a, yeah. a fascinating topic to well, even yeah, consider. Well, yeah, I wonder how open adoption can factor into that too. Like when you see your biological family and have that relationship, does that help you draw more of those roots and those genes out? Or yeah, how, does that affect it? I don't know. Very interesting to think about. I think I mentioned this in the interview, but I really liked how Erica did this very well-rounded storytelling where she included all of these different members of their family and never really seemed to project, at least I never felt like she was projecting her opinions of different people into the story. It was just very objective and honest. You could feel all of these people's humanity and the pain they feel. I don't know, it just really drew me in and I really liked that about this book. I also felt like I learned a lot about the history of international adoption and yeah, just fascinating. I think one thing I'm walking away from your conversation too, and something that's been on my mind and on kind of the national, at least here in the United States, political platform is just racism and race in the United States. And I just, it's so hard. Like I want everyone to have this sense of belonging of connectedness and to live in a society where we have just rooted out racism. Um, and it's just, it's just sad to hear about negative experiences that people d can't feel belonging um, or others don't allow them to feel like they belong to a society because they look or sound or act different. Um, so one of my takeaways is just to be more intentional on how I'm helping other people feel like they belong. I love that. Yeah, I mean, it is really hard to hear those stories, but I'm also really grateful to hear them. I yeah. feel like generally, right, not everybody, but our society, I think, is becoming more open to hearing those stories. And I think listening is the first step to changing and becoming better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love it. It was a great conversation. I'm excited to read the rest of the book. Um, and... Uh, 
just want to give a huge thanks again once more to Erica for spending some time with us and really spending five years researching and preparing to share this book. Um, it's very, very well thought out. And um, I think it captures a story that we in the adoption community can learn a lot from. Yeah, absolutely. I would recommend it to everybody in the adoption community. And as we're getting ready for National Adoption Month, it starts in November, which from the time of this recording is tomorrow. We are planning a couple of fun things. We will talk about that more soon. So yeah, to stay up to date with the most recent information that we have, you can follow us on Instagram at Open Adoption Project, or you can also check out our website and we'll keep that up to date too. It's openadoptionproject.org. Just so you know, I don't know if many of our listeners know this, but for every episode that we drop, especially the interview episodes, Lynette does a little blog post that kind of supports and adds information to the episode. I'd say it more summarizes. I don't know if it always supports and adds information, but I am trying to go in that direction. Yeah. So check out the check out the website, openadoptionproject.org. And uh, if you do slash blog, it will show all of the posts that she's done for each of the episodes. So if you're ever a little more interested in a maybe particular person or a story uh, you can check out there for maybe some additional information. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Open Adoption Project. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks.